Thank you, John. Thank you, uh, worship team. Thank you, Laura. Lots of people to thank this morning. Now, in our text that John just read for us, Philip, he shows us an amazing example of what can happen when we trust and when we follow God. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Brent give a, a description of the character of Philip and the other deacons that were chosen to serve. Uh, we heard that they were full of the Holy Spirit. They were wise. They had a good reputation. And we're really fortunate to have people like Philip in our church community, um, such as John, who we just heard from reading, um, his wife Martha, and scores of other men and women who um, fit the character of a deacon and perform those duties of deacons and deaconesses like Philip and Stephen that we heard about last week, uh, doing the work of ministry. And their lives are a great example of what it looks like when we surrender to God's guidance and what God can do um, in, in our church and beyond into our community. Now, the volunteers of this church really are the lifeblood of our ministry. Uh, some might think that pastors only are responsible for the ministry, but that's not true. Uh, let's take a quick look at Ephesians 4 before we get to the book of Acts. It says in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we read here that working in ministry, it isn't only for those who do it as a full-time job, it's a calling for the entire church. And what Paul says in Ephesians 4, when he uses the phrase, equipping the saints, Paul is talking about the entire church. Uh, the word saints isn't just used to describe a special class of elite believers. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are what's known as a saint. You've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and you've been given at least one spiritual gift to use for the building up of the church. And according to Ephesians 4, shepherds and teachers, they have the role of preparing and equipping and supporting others for the work of ministry. So the duty of the ministry belongs to the entire church. And we can see that in our own ministry and volunteer teams here at Faith, and we can see it in Philip in the book of Acts. So like John just read for us, God's got a job for Philip to do here in the second half of Acts chapter 8. Uh, but before we get to that, let's take a quick trip down memory lane and reacquaint ourselves with the early church's story in the book of Acts. And we'll get reintroduced to Philip as well. All right, so right in the onset of the book of Acts, the resurrected Jesus, he appears to his followers. He tells them that they're going to be given power from the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be given power so that they can bear witness to Jesus, so they can spread the word about him into uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes and Peter delivers his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And we see that the gospel is beginning to spread like wildfire in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the church there is born and it grows and it grows and it grows. And things start out wonderfully. The Lord is adding thousands upon thousands of people to the church. Uh, they are unified in the teachings of the apostles. They are unified in prayer. Uh, they were sharing with one another and they were performing healings and all kinds of signs and wonders. And um, the church had favor with the people of Jerusalem. Uh, things were going exceedingly well until all of a sudden they weren't. 
Now, the church began to run into fierce opposition from the Jewish leaders. Uh, The leaders were trying to silence the church. And the church had its own internal problems as well. Now, during this time of incredible sharing and generosity, Ananias and Sapphira, um, those two that we heard about a few weeks ago, they give in to the temptation to misrepresent their generosity. They lie about how much they've been giving, and the Lord strikes them dead. And the church has other growing pains as well. Uh, The Greek-speaking widows were being left out of the food distribution. And this is where we're introduced to Philip. Now, to help meet the needs of these widows, the apostles, they call out seven men, including Stephen and Philip, the first deacons of the church, to handle the distribution of the food so that the apostles could focus all of their attention on the ministry of word, the word, and the ministry of prayer. And so the disciples, they continue to bear witness to Jesus. They continue to get in all kinds of trouble with the Jewish leaders. And Stephen, Stephen catches the most flack. And as we heard recently, he is martyred, which means that he was killed for his faith. And as it says in Acts chapter 8, on that day, there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, all except the apostles. So we see a violent movement is breaking out against the church at Jerusalem. And now the church is scattered. Now, Saul, Saul had meant to snuff out the church, but now the church is no longer confined to one city. It's become a regional movement. The church is moving out in concentric circles, starting in the city of Jerusalem into the region of Judea, just as Jesus said it would, and then the gospel moves into Samaria. And Philip, as we heard last week, Philip is the one to take it there. But God is not done with Philip. And uh, picking up in our text today, we see that God had a very specific plan for Philip to spread the gospel all the way to Ethiopia. And now Philip, he was certainly a special person. He was special to be used by God like this, but he was special in a way that is not out of reach for all of us to apply today in our own lives and in our own shared ministry of faith church. Now, what made Philip special was three things. First, Philip was in touch with God. Second, he was in touch with people. And third, Philip was in touch with the gospel. Philip in touch with God. Now, we saw the kind of man that Philip was back when he was chosen as a deacon to serve the widows. We saw that he was chosen because he was a man of good reputation, he was wise, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. So trustworthy, wise, and godly. That described Philip. And Philip was beginning to establish this track record of being obedient to the call of God, whether it was working in the sandwich line to serve the widows or whether it was preaching the gospel all the way into Samaria. Philip was in touch with God and he was all in for whatever God had planned for him. And he's about to prove it again. It says in verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And then we get to see Philip's simple but remarkable uh, response to that. It says in verse 27, and he rose and went. Now, I pray that as God is writing the story of your life, that there are many occurrences where God can say that of you. 
and he rose and he went. Or, and she rose and she went. God's got a story that is written for you, and he wants you to be a willing and obedient participant in it. And when we are in touch with God, we're going to be sensitive to his guidance like Philip was. Uh, sometimes God speaks to us through his word. Uh, God can speak to us through prayer. God even speaks to us through our difficulties. Um, we saw that just last week it was persecution against the church that sent Philip to Samaria. God can speak through difficulties. And God can speak through an angel, as we just read, as he did with Philip. And he heard the angel's call, or he heard God's call through the angel, and Philip rose and he went. Now, it doesn't say that Philip pleaded with God. He didn't say, send someone else. Uh, it doesn't say he hopped on a ship and went in the complete opposite direction of Gaza. Um, he went. He went. And Philip didn't complain to God. He didn't say, hey, I've got a really good thing going here in Jerusalem. I want to hang out here. He went to a desert place, to a solitary place, away from the crowds, away from this church of Jerusalem that I'm sure had become a very pleasant reminder of the success of Philip's ministry. He was called to leave all that, and he was called to go to the desert to meet with one single person. Now, Philip was in touch with God, and he was obedient to God. And um, personally speaking, I can say that it's a good thing that I wasn't in Philip's place when the angel appeared, because... I probably would have just timidly asked the angel to go do it himself. <laughs> like, uh, excuse me, sir, you came all the way from heaven? You know, Gaza, it's just 20 miles down the road. You know, can't you just beam down there and finish the job yourself? What do you need me for? Uh, why not just finish the job yourself, Mr. Angel? Uh, it sounds silly to ask, but it really is a legitimate question. I mean, why didn't the angel just go to Ethiopia to declare the gospel? Um, the angel, he would have been more attention-getting, he would have been more eloquent, um, more convincing than Philip ever could have been. You know, why would the angel come all the way from heaven just to delegate to Philip? You know, why doesn't the ministry of the angels extend to declaring the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection? You know, after all, the shepherds were the one to announce the birth of Jesus. The angels were the one to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Um, the angel appeared to the woman at the tomb to announce the resurrection. Um, so why all of a sudden is this message of the gospel being delegated to the amateurs? And the answer to that, I think the answer to that will fill out our understanding of our role in the Great Commission to bring the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And the reason, the reason that God sends people and not angels to declare the gospel is because angels have never experienced the saving grace of God in the way we have. Now, angels have never experienced being the enemy of God through rebellion and then receiving the offer of forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so God's undeserved favor, God's grace, that is a concept that is entirely foreign to angels. Now, you and I, we can understand what it's like to be dead in sin and alienated from God. You and I understand the overwhelming mercy and grace shown in Christ dying the death that we deserve. You and I know what it is to be adopted into the family of God and have our right relationship with our Father restored. We have experienced that. And angels have not. So they are on the outside looking in. Now when the prophets 
the one the ones who wrote the Old Testament, when they were wrestling with what they were hearing from God, when they were trying to understand God's plan of salvation, it's written that the prophets weren't the only ones who were mystified. It says in 1 Peter 1.12, even the angels long to look into these things. It's talking of salvation. So the message of the good news, the message of the gospel, that's not the angel's tale to tell. It's your tale to tell. It's my tale to tell. Now, God sends those who have experienced the gospel to declare the gospel. And that's why the angels don't do it themselves. That's why God doesn't just write it across the sky. Our God is a relational God, and he uses those who have experienced his grace to draw others into that same relationship. That's where you come in, that's where I come in, and that's where Philip comes in. And the angel, he sends him down to Gaza. And again, we see Philip's simple, faithful response in verse 27, and he rose and he went down to that desert place. Um, Let me uh, tell you a story about someone I know um, from this church who, just like Philip, was used by God in an incredible way. And this man wouldn't say it was anything extraordinary. He was just open to following the Lord's direction. And this friend's story, I think it shows in our context what it looks like to be in touch with God, in touch with people, and in touch with the gospel. All right, so this friend from the church, he followed the Lord's call into the homeless shelter ministry, the Midmain homeless shelter right here in Waterville. And one night we had just finished serving the meal and we were sitting down with the shelter guests. And one of the guests was talking about the day that he was going to face tomorrow. He was talking about a court appearance that he had to make. And I forget the the, the exact details, but I I think the shelter guests, they were talking about which judge this man was likely to appear before. They were wondering um, if the guy was going to get a fair shake. You know, different judges, um, different attitudes and all that. And my friend told the story to this table of shelter guests about a time that he had to appear before a judge. And this judge had a bias against him right up from the beginning. Uh, My friend was a forester by trade. And the judge didn't hesitate to make it known that she had an objection to the way that he made his living. She did not like that he cut down trees for a living. And the judge made it guilty. The judge made it very difficult for him um, from that day. He said, oh, you're a forester? Guilty. (laughs) She literally said that to him. And, And my friend was sharing this story. And he said that one day, one day we will all appear before a judge but this judge is going to be a fair and a just judge. He said that we'll all stand before the throne of God. But the problem is, the problem is that we are all guilty of breaking his law. So he was saying that right in the homeless shelter um, to the table of guests. And all of a sudden, you could just hear a pin drop in that place. Everybody leaned in. You know, my friend is kind of a low talker. Um, everybody is just kind of staring silently, mouths drooped open, and the lights dimmed somehow, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, the Holy Spirit was definitely moving. It was so, so quiet. You could hear a pin drop, tears started to flow, as my friend explained that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price for the crimes that we committed. And he paid them on the cross so that we could rightly and truly be declared not guilty declared not guilty in the only verdict that has eternal significance. So my friend was in touch with God. He was in touch with God well enough to hear the call to the shelter that night. He was in touch with people 
enough to sit down and hear their story and share a meal with them. And he was in touch with the gospel well enough to know how to share it and how to apply it to that specific situation. Now, my friend, he didn't have to leave the comfort of his home. He didn't have to leave the companionship of those who already valued and respected his wisdom and good reputation. But instead, he followed the uh, the Spirit's call. He followed the Spirit's call, just like Philip did, away from his place of comfort and abundance to this desert place of the homeless shelter so that he could declare the gospel to a complete stranger. And for us, divine appointments, they await us if we are obedient God's calling. Now, God could have compelled that shelter guest to go hear the gospel at a local church on Sunday, but instead God chose to send my friends to meet him where he was at. And similarly, God sent Philip to a desert place to meet the Ethiopian where he was at. And in verse 27, we read more. It says, and he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. This guy was a big shot. Now, he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the, Philip, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, again, Philip remains in touch with God, and the spirit gives him the next step. And Philip obeys it. And now Philip is in touch with the person God has called them to. Verse 30, it says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, Do you understand what you are reading? Um, Let's camp on that for just a moment. Um, Philip is here on a mission from God. Um, An angel sent him, the Holy Spirit uh, told him him where to go. But even so, Philip doesn't just... um, start preaching at this guy. Uh, Philip has the humility and the tact to ask the man a question. He wants to know where the Ethiopian is at. Philip cares enough to have a real conversation with this guy. He's not only there to talk, he is there to listen. And that, of course, is becoming a lost art in our day and age. Um, We have so many opportunities to draw people out with a simple question. Um, Just for example, if you see someone wearing a cross or they have a cross tattoo or something like that, you know, that's practically an invitation to ask them, you know, what does the cross mean to you? What does Jesus mean to you? Because we know that not everybody who wears a cross understands who who Jesus truly is. But if we were to just ask, what does Jesus mean to you? And hear them out, you know, take a genuine interest in what they are saying. And even if their answer is far from the truth about who Jesus is, if you are gentle, if you are respectful, you now have a chance to come alongside someone and share the good news, just like we're about to hear Philip does. Now, a question, a question is an invitation into a conversation. So do you ask questions? I think if we can learn to do so, we're going to see doors open. And Philip's simple question, do you understand what you are reading? It opens a door. And here's how the Ethiopian responds. He says, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip was in touch with people. Now, Philip was a wise and caring person. So I'm sure he was sensitive and aware of the situation of the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, just for some background sake, so this man was a Gentile, which means that he was a non-Jew. Uh, he was a foreigner. 
And Philip knew that the Ethiopian had just come from Jerusalem to worship God. And it wouldn't have taken a detective to piece together what kind of experience that Ethiopian eunuch had during his time in Jerusalem. He would have been excluded. He would have been excluded from worship because he was a foreigner and because he was a eunuch. Now, while we studied the book of Ephesians earlier in the year, uh, we talked about the dividing wall that was in the temple. The Gentiles could only come so far. They could only come to the outer courts of the temple to worship. The holier parts of the temple, that was reserved for the Jews only. Now, this Ethiopian Gentile had come to Jerusalem to worship God, but he would have been excluded. And doubly so, because not only was he a Gentile, he was a eunuch as well. And I don't want to go into too much detail here, um, but being a eunuch was significant uh, because you could never be circumcised. And that's the outward sign of the people of God. Circumcision, as strange as it sounds, that was the sign of the covenants that God made with Abraham. So this guy was doubly excluded. He was there to worship God, but even so, this man was in no way accepted by the Jews. You know, he had Gentile written all over him, and when he arrived in Jerusalem, he certainly ran into a wall of exclusion. Now, the Jews had turned him away, but here was Philip actively seeking him out all the way to the desert. And through Philip's wise approach, he earns an invitation to disciple the Ethiopian. They have a Bible study right there in the chariot. Verse 31 says, and he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that they were reading was this. And this is from the book of Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And then the eunuch goes on to ask Philip, he says, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip shared the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. So again, Philip was in touch with God well enough to hear and follow his call. He was in touch with people well enough to discern a need. And as we're about to see, he is in touch with the gospel. He knows how to share it and how to apply it to the situation. Now, this passage that we just read, that's from Isaiah, Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy of God's suffering servants. And keep in mind that this was written 700 years prior to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian is wondering who the suffering servant is. The Jews are still wondering that today. You know, is it a metaphor for the nation of Israel? Um, is it the prophet himself? It is, it, is it Isaiah? Is it someone else entirely? You know, who is this mysterious suffering servant? And we don't have time to go through the whole chapter of Isaiah 53, but I would encourage you to read this. It is striking how obvious it points to Jesus. We're going to talk about some of that today. And the book of Isaiah in the chapter 53 especially talks about the entire servant's life. It says that the servant grew up before the Lord like a, like a root out of the dry ground. Um, it says that there was nothing especially majestic or wonderful about his appearance, nothing to draw people to him. It talks about the servant's very, very humble, humble beginnings. And so does that sound like someone else that we've heard of in the Bible? 
with humble beginnings, maybe someone who was born into poverty, um, born in a stable with a feeding trough for a crib. You know, how's that for humble beginnings? And Isaiah goes on to talk about the servant's ministry. It says that he was despised and rejected, well acquainted with grief, held in low esteem by the people he came to serve. So this was a very unlikely savior. You know, again, sound familiar? You know, nothing good can come out of Nazareth or a prophet is not welcomed in his hometown. You know, I'm sure this is ringing a bell for you and I'm sure it rang a bell for Philip as well. And then we get to the part of Isaiah, the Ethiopian quoted specifically here in the book of Acts, the suffering and the death of the servants. And I need to expand a little bit on the portion that is quoted in Acts by the Ethiopian so that we can get the full picture. Uh, Starting in verse four, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet not he opened his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he opened not his mouth." We'll look closely at verse 6 to see what it says about this servant's ministry. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now we read that all of us, all of us have wandered away from God through our sin. We've all rebelled and rejected God's law. And that's what sin is. You know, don't think for a second that sin is just murdering people or knocking over a bank. Sin is any deviation from God's perfect and holy standard, whether it's doing something wrong or not doing the right thing that we're supposed to do, that's sin. And just to underscore the fact that we are all sinners, you know, Jesus, he tells us that if we have looked at lust with another in our heart, one who is not our spouse, then we are guilty of adultery. Or if we hate someone else, That's the same as guilty of being a murderer. You know, even these unacted upon thoughts qualify as sinful. And so all of us have fallen woefully short of God's perfect standard. But God's judgment that we so richly deserve, that has fallen on this yet unnamed suffering servants. He stood in our place and the Lord laid our sin on this servant. The servant took the punishments so that we wouldn't have to bear it, even though we didn't deserve it. Now, again, does this sound familiar? Um, Maybe an innocent man hanging on a cross for the crimes of others. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as the Ethiopian read in Isaiah, the suffering servant was like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its uh, shearers is silent. So he opened out his mouth. In the Ethiopian, that's the particular passage that he quoted. And he was asking Philip, who is this guy? And so I'm sure Philip, he was in touch with the gospel, he knew. So he knew how this voice pointed to the trial of an innocent man who was silent like a sheep before his accusers. Matthew 26, this is the trial of Jesus. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is this that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained 
silence. What the Ethiopian had quoted had been fulfilled by Jesus. And the Ethiopian also read that the servant dies. It says that his life is taken away from the earth. And I'm sure that Philip went on to tell him about an innocent man who was killed on a cross for the sake of others. And Philip, he knows that this servant, uh, this, this suffering servant's story does not end in a tomb, so I'm sure Philip didn't leave it at that. It says that beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, Philip was in touch with the gospel, and so he knows that it's more than just the life, sacrificial death, burial of the suffering servant. It's also his resurrection as well. So Philip certainly tells the eunuch of the resurrection. And maybe he told him about the experience of the woman at the tomb three days later. From Matthew 28, it says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Now Jesus, of course, is the sinless, suffering servant that made an offer for guilt, died, was buried, and then rose again. Jesus is the one that the eunuch was asking Philip about. And so Philip told him, he told him about this life, death, and resurrection. And he told him that it was for him as well, not just for the Jews, but for him, even a Gentile eunuch. Now, Philip was certainly aware of the rejection that this man was feeling. So Philip told him the good news. And even though the Jewish leaders at the temple hadn't accepted this truth, the reality is is that the death of Christ had torn down the spiritual wall that separates the Jews from the Gentiles. Now, again, the eunuch was reading from the scroll of Isaiah, written 700 years prior to this conversation, And it's likely that at some point in this conversation, Philip unrolled the scroll just a little bit further to Isaiah 56 and read, let no foreigner, the Ethiopian eunuch was certainly a foreigner, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain. Again, written 700 years prior, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So have you ever had an experience when you read a verse and you just get goosebumps because you know God is talking directly about you? I'm sure that that was the Ethiopian's experience as he read that. I mean, it mentions specifically a eunuch. (laughs) Now, us today, sitting here, reading those words, we should feel the same. We should get goosebumps when we read the words, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from my people. Now, the reason I say that is because, you know, maybe here, In North America, because we're used to seeing a church on every street corner, maybe we've come to think that the gospel is native to North America, that it's an American invention. Uh, But the truth is, is that we are further removed from God's people than the Ethiopian was. And we may not think of ourselves as strange and exotic, but we are the Gentiles at the end of the earth. We are the foreigners. And we would have been just as excluded as the Ethiopian was if we had rolled up to the temple 
in a chariot and expected to walk into the temple and join into worship. You know, by birth, we are Gentiles. We are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, God's chosen people, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, we have no claim to the promises of God to his people, Israel. You know, far from it. But we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been adopted into the family of God's chosen people, just like the eunuch was. And now the eunuch had a place with the people of God. And in the holiest place, as it said in the scroll, in the presence of God, this place in the temple that he had been excluded from, he now has a memorial and a name. A name better than a son, it says. A name that will endure forever. And let's see how the Ethiopian eunuch responds. It says, as they were going along the road, they came there some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Now, just like circumcision is the outward sign of the Jewish people, baptism, that is the outward sign of a Christian. It's an external symbol of an internal change. And so the eunuch was baptized. And when we are to do the same. And of course, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Uh, church historians, they credit him as the father of the African church. So he brought the, he brought the gospel. He brought the good news of Jesus Christ home with him. And as for Philip, it says, but Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, Philip preached the gospel as he went on his way. You know, we are to do the same. And like Philip and like my friend at the homeless shelter, if you are in touch with God, in touch with people and in touch with the gospel, God is going to use you to bridge the gap between himself and the lost. And God is not sending an angel. He's not sending an angel because he's got someone better equipped to do the job. He's got you, the ones who have experienced his grace firsthand. Now, for Philip, it wasn't a long journey from serving sandwich to someone who was hungry to serving those widows. It wasn't a long journey from him serving hungry widows to serving the gospel to one who was hungry for the bread of life. And for those of us who serve on the many volunteer teams or outreach teams, um, we should take note of that as we are serving our city. It is a very short path between serving a physical need and meeting a spiritual need. Now, God will give you the opportunities if you are in touch with him. Now, Philip was in touch with God well enough to hear and follow his call. He was in touch with people well enough to discern a need, and he was in touch with the gospel well enough to know how to share it and apply it to this particular situation. Now, just um, earlier this week, I heard a story about a father and a son from this church who have taken to visiting the Waterville uh, Soup Kitchen. Uh, this is a different ministry from the Waterville Homeless Shelter. And um, they're not there to serve food, but they're instead there to talk with the guests that are just having a meal. 
And just like my friend at the homeless shelter, they've got a willingness to be there for others and show compassion towards those who are struggling. And they are putting themselves in a position to disciple and bring the presence of Jesus to the situation, to those in need. Now, this is a real-life example of what it says out on the doors of the church as you leave. It says, from the seats to the streets. And that's, that's not there just because it's a clever rhyming slogan. It's there to remind us that God is calling the people of this church to bring the gospel to the people of this city. Maybe you're a deacon or a deaconess. Maybe you're literally serving the widows like Philip and Stephen were, going to their houses each month to give them a helping hand. Uh, Maybe you're serving at the pregnancy center down the street, showing the love of Christ to vulnerable parents and children. Uh, Maybe you're serving alongside the Waterville chaplain, or maybe it's your mission to support the spouses of law enforcement officers in the city. Uh, Maybe it's reaching the local college students, or maybe your calling is to serve the youth and the children of this church. Um, Maybe you're you're showing grace and support to the many people in need of recovery, or you're serving in the homeless shelter or the soup kitchen. Uh, maybe it's your calling to give our visitors a warm welcome or you're serving here to make things go well and make sure things go smoothly on Sunday morning. The list goes on and on and on. Um, and maybe it's your calling to support this work financially, to give so that we can take the next step in expanding our staff and devoting even more time and focus to the shepherding and the developing of all our outreaches that are already beginning to bear fruit. But no matter what your calling is in this church body, We'll only do it well if we are in touch with God or in touch with him well enough to hear his call, in touch with the people that he is sending us to so that we can see the need and in touch with the good news of Jesus Christ, the message that saves them. As the worship team makes their way up front, uh, let's reflect on what an incredible calling that we share together. Uh, The angels are anxiously looking into these things that we have been entrusted with, this treasure that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a treasure that is beyond worth, and it's been entrusted to these very fallible jars of clay. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and let's ask him for his mercy and grace as we live out his will in reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ all the way to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you and I praise you for your son. Your son who stood in our place just like a lamb going to the slaughter. And Jesus died the death that our sin earned. God, thank you that our sin debt is now paid in full. And just like Jesus walked out of the grave, we have now been freed to walk in a new life. Lord, as we live out this new life, rejoicing in this truth, God, incline our hearts to hear you so that we can listen to your call on our lives. God, cause us to yield to your guidance and lead us into opportunities to proclaim your greatness to sinners in need of salvation. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with gospel truths and fill us with your love for people. And as we are transformed May the loving work that you have begun in our hearts overflow onto those that you send us to. Uh, May we begin to love others as you have loved us and use us as a conduit of your loving grace to everyone that you would send us to. And Lord, we go forth 
in absolute confidence knowing that you have begun a good work in us and you are going to see it through to the day of completion. God, we go forth in confidence knowing that you are not done with this city and we go forth in confidence knowing that you are indeed building a church to reach it, a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. God, you are still building. You are still working in this dark world and you have called us to be a part of that. So God, show us each the part that we are to play as you build your kingdom. God, our confidence and our hope, it's in you alone. So I ask that you would please continue to show us grace in ways beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine as we follow your call into the city. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.